Hey guys, and welcome to the Green Room Podcast. I'm Christine Banks, here with Chase Banks, as always, and we have two very special guests with us today. Um, They're from our board, and um, we have President Omar Carmenantes and Vice President Danielle Gonzalez. Yay! Yay! Thank you guys for being with us. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So, I know that... We, you know, you guys have just starting um, to work with us. So um, I wanted to take the time to let you guys talk about what your background is in, you know, eco-friendly music and, you know, what led you to, um, you know, being interested in joining the the board and any past experience you have. Um, So I'll start off, um, Danielle, if you if you'd like to start and then I'll pass over to Omar. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, first of all, thank you for having us on here. I'm really excited to be here and part of the board. Um, So for me personally, just a little quick background on um, my eco friendly music. Um, So I actually compose, perform and commission a lot of works that utilize actual recycled objects or instruments, as well as the uh, topics themselves, tend to focus a lot around um, environmentally based themes. So, you know, climate change uh, and then, you know, pollution, specifically a lot of plastic pollution. Um, But I do actually utilize uh, recycled instruments. So you'll see a lot of my setups have pipes or glass bottles where I literally will use pieces of garbage. Uh, as part of my percussion setup to not only like, you know, actually recycle instruments, but also to kind of have that deeper message, you know, that theatrical element, uh, because that is something that I very much utilize in my performances as well. Um, So one of the the big projects that I have done um, through my company, uh, Dance, Arts, Media, Electronics and Theater, or DAMIT for short, uh, is called Natural Beauty. So it is an environmentally inspired um, music production that ut- utilizes um, video, lighting, spoken word, and percussion instruments in order to depict a story uh, that is inspired by climate change. Now, what's really cool about this particular production is I've toured with it all over the, the country and even um, took it to uh, Canada this last winter when we still could travel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And the show has actually taken multiple different forms every time I've played, because when I've commissioned new works, I actually um, allow composers the freedom to compose on a subject that is very um, central to them. Because this is such a global topic, everybody has their own sort of opinions and passions. So I like to leave that door open for the composers to express themselves. And then I actually construct... um, the entire production around that. So each performance is a little different depending on which pieces I program, but it's pretty interesting because no matter what, it's all a part of the same topic and we still have a way of being able to express and create uh, social change through art and music. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I love the creativity. You know, I'm, I'm always thinking like something around the house can be a musical instrument. I mean, everything can be in my mind. <laughs> and speaking on that, Danielle, did were there any specific um, instrumentation needs for that show? Uh, you were talking about sometimes you use like junk percussion, anything like that. Um, 
do you have any like specific instruments you'd want to like talk about or share about maybe something you've created? Absolutely. Yeah. So actually one of the biggest, um, instruments that I like to emphasize is the use of metal pipes. Now, um, you've probably seen, I have a couple of different pieces that I utilize these pipes for, but when you look at it, they're actually the exact same pitches from David Lang's so-called laws of nature. Mm. Now that was done on purpose, uh, whenever <laughs> I had commissioned because I was working on that piece at the time, uh, while I was in school and, I love the piece and I realized, you know, we bought all of these metal pipes and we took the time to cut them down and tune them and make them so precise. And I realized the second we were done with that piece, what would they would be doing? They would just literally be shelved until the next time that specific piece was going to be performed again. So when I was commissioning new works, you know, specifically by um, my uh, one friend, um, Gala Flagello, she's an amazing composer. And she and I were in the percussion room and just looking around at different instruments. And I was like, you know, we will never use those pipes again. I would love if you could write for that. And so that kind of started the beginning of wanting to utilize and reuse instruments that would otherwise only be purchased and created for a one-time performance. So I call them a lot of like one-off pieces, you know. So there were, there were a couple other ones I did that, that year as well. Um, like Water Wine Brandy Brine by Viet Cong. Um, it also uses pitched glasses that you need. So you have to go out and like find those specific pitches. And then when you're done, they also sit on the shelf. So I wanted to actually recycle instruments within our percussion repertoire that people could get multiple uses out of because we're already spending the money on the materials. Yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. I love that. And for those that aren't within the percussion world, uh, cutting metal pipes and tuning. It's, it's almost like a rite of passage, uh, I think for a lot of us. Uh, so yeah, that's really cool to hear about your experience. So Omar, I'll pass it over to you. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I guess same question, right? You want me to talk about my background in eco-friendly music? Um, yeah. So it, it, it's hard to like pinpoint, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a while and it's been, it's been hard. It's hard to pinpoint like the starting point, right? Like where my journey, um, and you know, caring about the earth and caring about sustainability sort of started, but I do have this memory, uh, circa 2005, 2006, I read, um, a book called the way we eat, why our food choices matter by, uh, Peter Singer, who's, um, a renowned philosopher. And, um, you know, that book, sort of, I, I remember picking it up off the shelf and just, you know, like, this sounds interesting. And, you know, at that point I was, um, never had thought much about the environment. I mean, I cared, but only in the extent that like I, in my head, I cared. And, mm-hmm. um, I was, you know, just getting out of my undergraduate degree at the time, just, you know, eating ramen and doing all the things we do and just trying to survive <laughs> day, day to day. Yeah, and, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I read this book, and it got me really thinking about the the our, our food systems, you know. And I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but um, that that uh, you know, after that book, I really considered like the way I was eating, and and became a vegetarian, mm-hmm. and became um, you know, I, I tried. It really taught me that you know we really vote with our dollars. Like it's not just the voting booth, which is very important, but uh, the, exactly. the way we go the way, yeah, yes, go vote. <laughs> um, the the way, but you vote every day with a dollar. And, and so it got me really thinking about the way I consume and the way I, um, purchase and my, 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 
patterns and how I do that and what do I buy? Why do I buy it? Why do I buy Cheerios? You know, <laughs> like things like that. And um, so I became a vegetarian and I, I think that that's the event that sort of like set me on the path. Um, and I thought it would stop there, but as I was going, I wanted to find like this deeper, like how can I express my feelings about this through what I know how to do? Because I'm no scientist, I'm no um, philosopher for sure. Um, and so when I was in my DMA, um, DM, I guess we call it a Florida State, um, pursuing my DM degree, um, I decided to make my lecture recital sort of a commissioning project on um, sort of similar, very similar to what Danielle said. I wanted to see if I could commission a group of composers to write a piece uh, that was environmentally, it, it was it either involved playing recycled instruments or was environmentally inspired somehow. Um, those composers were Brian Nosny, Christopher Dean, David Skidmore from uh, Third Coast Percussion, and uh, the sort of, sort of the it was it was a part of this project, but it wasn't. It was sort of a separate fourth leg. Was uh, John Luther Adams and uh, his piece in Nuxuit. Um and John had happened to be like looking for commissioners at the time, some supporters for that piece. Um, and I was on, I was right in the middle of this project, so I was like, sure, you know, like I found some funds. Um, and commissioned those four pieces to, to perform. And that became my lecture recital, um, premiering those four works. And then, um, and I should say with the John Luther Adams piece, um, obviously at, at Banff, they premiered it there, which Danielle, you were there, right? Am I, am I wrong in that? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) yeah. And so we, we played it like the next like a couple months later, it was one day before Doug Perkins's performance in Texas, I think. And we had the U.S. premiere here at Furman University where I work. Um, we had 55 percussionists and John came, Steve Schick came because um, I sure as heck didn't know what I was doing with the piece. And so anyone that's played it knows what I mean when you encounter it the <laughs> first time. And uh, having John and Steve there was a big help. Um, but anyway, so th- those core pieces right there sort of taught me like, oh, this goes beyond, um, there are other ways to express your relationship to the environment than just recycling an instrument or it's very important. All that's very important, but there are other avenues as well. Um, you know, like John's piece was just so, it's so profound when I performed it. I was like, wow, this is like what I want to do. Um, and so those pieces sort of became like the core of my first solo CD, the, the Gaia theory, um, through rattle records. And, I put that album out, I think, in 2012 or so. Um, and so that whole CD was pieces that were environmentally inspired, and all the pieces from my lecture recital were sort of the core of that. Um, and then from there, I've sort of been on this like really long relationship with um, eco-acoustic composer Matthew Bertner um, out of University of Virginia. And um, we premiered, not premiered, we, we, uh, I saw his work, the six eco-acoustic quintets, performed at the Nifnor Festival, um, which was hosted here at Furman for four years. Saw that, was blown away. Um, I had my students perform it in 2015 and we were gonna record it for a CD. I was like, sure, let's record it, you know. Um, silly me, I, I didn't do the math, that's only 30 minutes. So it's not it's not a whole CD. So we got done with it, it sounded great. And I was like, oh wait, we gotta find another half of this disc. Um, so I put the recording on the shelf and like three years later we just premiered commissioned and premiered this interdisciplinary work um, from Matthew um, in collaboration with two of my colleagues at Furman um, called Avian Telemetry. And we just 
we just recorded it about two years ago and released the CD about a month ago. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's sort of been a long journey that way um, in terms of my music, you know, and, and um, how I've been yeah. seeking a deeper relationship with uh, sustainability that way. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we, we appreciate you sharing your own, you know, personal journey um, with eco-friendly music and everything. That's It's really neat to, to mm-hmm. hear that background. Um, so I guess the question now that I want to pose to both of you is really, how can the classical music world, whether you're a musician, a composer, a teacher, audience, how, how can we take climate change seriously within our work um, as classical musicians? You know, is there... What what can we do in in your guys' opinions? You know, besides, you know, recycling sheet music and you know being aware of where your dollars being spent. You know, Danielle's uh, ideas about recycling instruments or using those same instruments for a new piece, that kind of thing. Um, any any insight either one of you would like to share on that? Uh, I, I'm happy to jump in, Danielle. If you want, Danielle, if you want to jump in, be my go for guest. it. No, go for it. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's it's tricky because you you, uh, you know I, I know that we have the audience to, to take into account, right? Um, as artists, we should make the art we want to make, and you know try to find the audiences that will be there for that music and that art. But I, I do understand too that we have to put butts in the seats at, at times, um, and especially the larger the ensemble, right? We're talking symphony orchestras. We're talking, um, you know, as, as as the ensemble becomes larger, it becomes more. They become a little more risk averse, I, I think, um, yeah. to to being on the cutting edge of things like like what we're talking about. Um, but I think it's important. I, I think um, you know there's a there's a line to toe between being an activist and beating people over the head with it. I think that that's another that's something that's important. And but I think that's where music excels. If you do it right, music can provide sort of a neutral space that you know. It can it basically provides a time or a space for contemplation or for um, to experience the earth or to experience something about the earth that maybe you hadn't before um, because you're in a hall and your uh, you know your 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 attention is focused on this auditory experience. Um, you know, suddenly bird calls mean something different when you hear them in the midst of a piece, right? As opposed to just what you hear every day driving down the road. And th- those little connections, you know, those little connections can be profound if you if you are careful about how you present it. And I think that's that's sort of the key for music's part to play is we don't have to yell from the mountaintops. We surely can if we want to. And you, that's that's you know, like if we're going to be yeah. activists about it, let's do it. But I think another tact that it can take is it provides this uh, neutral space, you know, where people can interpret how they want to interpret it and take in whether you're conservative or liberal or whatever, I don't think it matters. You know, I really don't. Um, because, you know, even just pr- pr- premiering this avian telemetry piece from Matthew uh, two years ago, uh, you know, we, we premiered it at, you know, a, a, I guess I'll just say it, like a sort of expensive liberal arts private school in South Carolina, <laughs> you know? And <laughs> the audiences, regardless of the person there, loved it. You know, because again, we set it up, you know, I gave a little introductory talk and set it up just as this space um, for experience. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, uh, you know, make sure you buy one ply toilet paper or anything like that. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So I'll leave it at that and get off my soapbox, but that, that's, that's where I think music can be play a unique part in, in the, in the, the fight against climate change. That's great. Danielle, did you have anything you'd like to add? 
Absolutely. I want to just, first of all, say, like, I agree with 100% of the points you're making, Omar. Like, I think this is um, exactly what music is really, the, the purpose of it is to create an experience, you know, and the different kinds of experiences that we can create, you know, can affect how our audiences react. So, you know, it is a very sensitive topic. And just like you, I am not a professional environmentalist. You know, I'm a musician. I know music just like all of us. And so the question really is like, how can we express and present something that we're passionate about or something that is a part of our lifestyle to audiences in a way that, you know, they could potentially experience and understand, but not necessarily feel like, you know, oh, I'm being lectured right now. Um, so, you know, the way that I, I try and um, describe it is just like, you know, trying to find out what it is about climate change that either the experiencer or the experiencee, you know, wants to come across with, you know, is it, is it something mm -hmm. that you, you're like, I want somebody to have a call to action. I want people to go out and buy that, you know, single ply toilet paper or recycled, whatever. Is that mm -hmm. what you want? Then, you know, if that's the case, then, you know, you find the way to uh, go out and represent that but I think for the the bigger part of it and for a lot of musicians it's just really understanding the the concept and our role in this society because we're all a part of this topic like we are all responsible for our planet right now and and developing you know a, a safe and healthy environment for future generations so how can we express that as musicians how can we encourage that as musicians in this abstract thing this abstract noise world that we live in. And so ways that I've tried to, you know, experiment with that is by, you know, looking and collaborating with um, perhaps people who are in the field or at least knowledgeable of it, having those conversations, you know, obviously uh, part of it too is just like your own research and lifestyle. Like I never compost before in my life and my one roommate just happened to be an environmentalist um, nice. and I was like, this is fun. Like, I know it's weird <laughs> and silly, but like, I love composting. And so like, I started to change my lifestyle based on the research that I was doing. Um, but then the other thing too, I, I like to challenge myself. So I'm always one of those people that like to kind of think outside the box or push the boundaries. So I actually, um, in, a, in agreeing with, uh, Omar, you're trying to like bring people in and, and basically get butts and seats essentially right mm -hmm. and sometimes that's hard to do so yeah. the way that I try and you know compensate for that is actually like going to the venue because I have the uh, capability I have like a portable rig everything fits into my car um, and that is including like the projection lighting and all all the percussion instruments I found wow. a way to program uh, basically a, so a solo show so I can take it anywhere so that's been my way of trying to branch out and reach beyond the music community. Cause that's the other part yeah. too, is like, you know, we have this thing and we can play for other musicians, but that's while that is the market we're trying to reach. That's not the market we're trying to reach. Mm. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Danielle, I wanted to kind of follow up with a question. I know Omar was talking about how his audience received uh, their performances in, in South Carolina with you going out and having this portable touring setup and everything like that you know, you're playing for maybe a, uh, just a different audience than, you know, we're probably accustomed to playing for. What what have the reactions, you know, been that you've received? That's a great question. And yes, I have played for 
many audiences of varying sizes, of varying cultures. Mm -hmm. And what I love about it is everyone has a similar reaction. And it's basically the only thing I want to happen is that a conversation is started. You know, whether they are in agreement or disagreement, you know, essentially it's a conversation that has started and it's really opening because it, it helps me to learn um, a little bit more about what others value or what others are reading or researching and how can I, you know, bring that into my performances or, you know, are there things that are working or things that I wasn't aware of? So it's, it's more of like, it's, it's an eye opening experience um, for me, but it's also just, it's beautiful and entertaining. Um, and the way I try to structure it too, is like, it's a complete um, nonstop performance so you, you don't interrupt the consciousness of the individual. So they're really taken through like essentially a meditative journey. So I, I tend to use, you know, script and words. And that is the way I uh, introduce the facts and statements. And then I tend to play music that's a little bit more reflective that allows the audience members, uh, their, their minds to wander and really take that own personal journey. So the reactions are are quite different. And it really depends on, you know, people's backgrounds and understanding. And, you know, I noticed that like with older generations, the conversation is different with younger generations. The conversation is different. So it's just, it's interesting. Um, and I take that with a grain of salt, you know, and it's fun because people are listening because it's, it's presented in a different way. It's not just another lecture and they don't really know what's about to happen. So I I just love the fact that I see that people are listening and that they're having that conversation. I have to say it's, it's pretty neat to hear your, both of your conversations and, and kind of see some of the overlap, you know, Danielle talking about how, um, you have your lines of text that you're sharing and then kind of setting the setting the ambiance and whatnot for the audience to really reflect just like Omar was talking about how he kind of prefaced uh, their performance. And that's what we did in our very first premiere concert. Uh, we actually shared these uh, parables that you can, you know, relate or transfer to modern day climate change and things like that that are affecting all of us. So that's pretty cool to see that overlap. Yeah. And if I can jump in, just maybe add on one thing that's just sort of got me thinking. Um, let's yeah. also not forget the musicians playing the pieces, right? Like th- mm. these these works can profoundly change them as well. And and maybe it's the educator in me talking, but you know, like when when I have students that perform these pieces, I mean, they're profoundly changed as well. You know, mm. when they when they see, you know, the, like I, I'm thinking even like in John Luther Adams's Anuxuit, you know, when you see the music shaped in the shape of an Anuxuit statue, you know, on the page and you're sitting there and when you're playing, you, you sort of channel that, you know, that artistry in there, or when you, um, see those structures come to life or you see those natural, um, like in Matthew Burtner's music, you'll, you'll, you can kind of see and hear these natural, uh, sounds and structures sort of like right there on the page for you, you know, and, and it creates a connection that's like, Oh, okay. And, and so I think the hope is really that, uh, the music becomes a gateway to further activism or further exploration. Right. I, it, it was for me, you know, like once I got, once I played it, I was like, Oh, what's the next thing? And I think Danielle even alluded to it too. Is like, um, you know, from experiencing those pieces, what's next, you know, maybe mm-hmm. I will compost or maybe I will, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever, maybe I will yeah. f- drive more and fly less, you know, maybe I'll go get an electric yeah. car. I don't know. That, that is, that's the next, <laughs> yeah. That's the next like step, you know, and, and that's, 
that is activism in, in a way, you know? Absolutely. Um, it's it's yeah. kind of beyond the idea of, you know, we're no longer art for art's sake. Simply put, you know, we, we are trying to find that new way, that new direction of how can we reach out and communicate with our audiences. Obviously, I know right now we're talking about environmental, you know, sustainability and climate change. But especially now, if you just look at the relevant times with, you know, Corona, COVID, that music and and art and the entertainment industry is approaching everything a little bit differently now because it's no longer entertainment yeah. for entertainment's sake. It's now there is a deeper meaning, a deeper purpose behind that. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of leads me to my my final question. Um, what are you most passionate about and excited to bring to the table um, on the board of directors um, this year? Yeah, uh, for me, it's really continuing to understand this topic and finding those creative ways to share and explore our research. It's, you know, such a heavy, widespread subject. And, yeah, exactly. you know, how can we cover this? And, and again, you know, we've, we've talked before, we're musicians, we're not environmentalists necessarily, maybe we are. But, you know, there's the understanding, how can I give information out that I understand my perspective in a field that I know, and, and can, you know, explain through? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say I think for me, it's just, uh, it, it, it's honestly, it's supporting the mission you know, and whatever way I can do that. And, and through that support, even maybe growing a little bit myself, you know, um, I've obviously been a, a fan of GVP for, um, a while mm -hmm. and getting to participate. Is that the official acronym by the way? Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 GVP. Awesome. You got it. Um, and, and, you know, just getting to, getting to do it, to serve and however way I can to further the mission, you know, I think only helps. And then getting to experience, um, new works from the composers that we commission and, or, um, see performances from some great people in the vibraphone competition or whatever, you know, I think, um, I'm looking forward to growing in my own, uh, sustainable journey as well, um, a lot while contributing. And honestly, I'll even say, Danielle touched on it a little bit, but, um, I think it's no secret that in the, I, I, I guess this is audio, but I'm air quoting, uh, <laughs> in, the, in the, in the classical music world, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, think a lot of institutions are looking for ways to be relevant in the 21st century. And I mean, I'm not scared to say it, you know, and yep. um, th there's a lot of golden opportunities to be relevant right now. And this is one of them, <laughs> you know, on top of all the current times and things. Um, how can we engage with modern audiences in a modern way that is, is of the 21st century? You know, well, mm -hmm. I can't think of any more of an existential crisis right now than climate change that we can engage with, you know, and talk about and perform music and art inspired by it. And, um, and then all the equity and inclusion things we're going through, you know, like all that sort of falls in the same, like these are all opportunities that we can choose to ignore or acknowledge in our art, you know, and um, it's, it's about time we, we, you know, that the whole music world steps up with it. So seeing, seeing an organization that's committed to that is, is what's exciting too. Well, thank you. We're, mm -hmm. um, you know, I can see so much how, you know, sort of the music world affects everybody just as much as climate ch change affects everybody. You know, it's that universal, like, Language. suffering, <laughs> you okay. could say. But we have that universal, like, joy 
at least in my opinion, that I, I can see how, you know, emphasizing music in our communities can bring us together on this one united front. So I'm really excited to have you guys on the board. And if you have any other topics that you'd like to talk about, we can join in or have another session later. <laughs> but and I have to. Yeah, I, I think it's it's very you know, it's, it's humbling to talk with both of you and get your ideas and opinions and, you know, sharing this out into the stratosphere, if you will, of classical music. And, um, you know, we, we never really thought that this project, you know, I, I have to say, and yet again, this is a moment where you can't see the air quotes or anything, but right now this microphone stand that Christine's talking into has this bright green tape on it. And I'm going to just beeline, stick with me here. So I have this bright green tape. And back when I was an undergrad, I used to mark all of my percussion gear, bags, cases, everything with green, because, you know, everybody's bags are, you know, typically black or, you know, maybe they have some cool design, but uh, I would do that to differentiate my gear. And green has always been my favorite color. And, you know, for some little insignificant fact of the color green and putting green tape on your gear to eventually evolve into a project like this you know, it's, it's pretty wild and pretty cool to see. And it's great to get positive feedback for what we're doing and what we're advocating for. So long story short, you know, thank you guys again for joining us today. And obviously, thank you for being on our very first board of directors ever. Um, so it's really <laughs> excited to have you guys on the on the team. We're excited to be here. And I also just want to say, I think it's wonderful that we all have been able to come together to share and talk about such an important topic and to see, you know, the many projects that Green Vibes, you know, project has coming up ahead too. So it's very exciting and I'm excited to be on the board. I know I'm excited to work with Omar and you guys as well. Yeah, the feeling's mm -hmm. mutual. Awesome. So yes, it's been great having you guys on uh, today on the podcast. We are going to share about some composting tips, maybe from Danielle and ourselves, because we both, we all compost here. So we'll share about some of that going forward, and we'll put links to Omar and Danielle's websites uh, in, in the description and whatnot. So be sure to check out all of their amazing work. That is all for the Green Room Podcast today. We will catch you guys next time.